Welcome to On the Middle East, our monitor's podcast on the big stories in the region. My name is Ambrin Zaman, and as the conflict in Ukraine enters its first year, I'll be looking at deepening military cooperation between Russia and Iran. Iran is believed to be supplying armed drones to Russia to aid in its flailing war effort, a claim that Tehran denies. However, Ukrainian authorities and Western governments say they have compelling evidence that Iranian drones have been deployed in Ukraine. The US State Department has labeled Tehran the Kremlin's top military backer. Iranian media reports suggest that the Islamic Republic will be acquiring 24 Russian Sukhoi Su-35 fighter jets by the end of March this year. With hopes of a revival of the nuclear deal all but dead, and reports that Iran is enriching uranium close to nuclear grade, the Russian-Iran alliance is cause for mounting worry in the region and in Western capitals alike. With us here to discuss these developments is John Rain, the Senior Advisor for Geopolitical Due Diligence at the International Institute for Strategic Studies in London. A former British diplomat who served in the Middle East and South Asia for 33 years, John has written extensively on Iranian affairs. So welcome to our program, John. It's really great to have you on here with us today. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So there's this budding military relationship between Russia and Iran. And we've seen this play out most recently in Ukraine, where the Ukrainians and Western governments say that um, Russians are using Iranian drones to attack Ukraine. What do we know about the full extent of this new, if it is new, relationship between Russia and Iran? What is the evidence? Because Iran denies that it started providing drones after the uh, conflict started in Ukraine. You're right to um, to ask whether or not this is a new defense relationship, because of course there's, there is background to defense cooperation between Iran and, and Russia. And, you know, going back 10 years or so, we've seen high level visits in both directions and we've seen lots of pledges and some delivery on weapons systems. So they, they, there's form, as it were, to, to this relationship. I think what's new about it is, is very obviously the Iranians are now helping the Russians in an armed conflict, very aggressive armed conflict. And although there's a background to military and strategic cooperation, this this is of a different order in terms of its consequences. So in that sense, we are now we're now seeing a relationship which has been fraught and tentative, but nonetheless has um, has been steadily developing move on to a different level. And so what is the full extent of it that we're actually aware of? What does Iran provide to Russia? And what, if anything, does it get in exchange? 
Well, we're dealing, first of all, with two extremely security conscious and, and, and secretive countries. So understanding the full extent is, is difficult. But thanks to equipment that has been captured and analyzed by the Ukrainians and to um, some recent reporting that's come out of Iran, we, we, we're developing a picture of, on the one hand, Iranian supply of UAVs. So these are unmanned vehicles which uh, are of tactical use for the, the Russians. And, and they range between what have come to be called the, the kamikaze drones, the kind of one-use drones, the Shahid uh, 136 and, and, and related types, through to some of the more sophisticated drones which carry air to ground missiles and of course can retire uh, can fly return missions so the sense of what the iranians supply to the russians is developing and it it it's in a sense it's predictable these are capabilities that the iranians have developed themselves they're ones that the russians require for their combat operations they're not particularly expensive to produce the iranians have enough of them the what do they get in return well first of all they are selling these so there's there's some some revenue but um probably not great given this level of this level of uh, equipment that they're supplying i think it's best to look at this as in in the strategic context and and what is it that's that's really driving iran to develop this relationship and my view on that is that the Iranians are trying to raise the level of cooperation from strategic alignment, a large element of which is coincidental, to something closer to a pact, a security pact, whereby the Iranians can look to, to Moscow for a guarantee of security for the regime. So the key thing for the leadership in Tehran is the survival of the regime. That's fascinating. So something akin to what the Russians did for Assad then? Something akin, but circumstances are very different. And of course, the, the nature of the relationship between Syrian Ba'ath Party and, uh, and Russia is very different between that that exists between Vlad el so the theocratic state in Iran and, and Moscow, there are kind of deeper sympathies and, and you know, political affinities. And I don't think either the Iranians or the Russians would want to talk now in terms of guarantees of regime survival. But an important thing to remember is that it was, it was Iranian lobbying, the IRGC lobbying that brought the Russians in to Syria Having, having warned the Russians that the regime collapse was, was imminent, they galvanized Russian military intervention. So they saw firsthand and indeed were a military ally to the Russians in, in the execution of their campaign. They saw firsthand what Russia is prepared to do to protect an ally. Very difficult to map that across identically to uh, you know, to cut and paste that across no, to sure. the violent Iranian regime, but I think definitely running through the minds of the the current leadership, 
in in Tehran is how can they develop the relationship with Russia to the point where Russia will will guarantee their survival. So is this a clever move? I mean, first of all, it's prompting a flurry of new sanctions, all these deals that they're doing with the Russians, at a time when the regime is under huge domestic pressure um, with all those protests, albeit, you know, suppressed to some extent, but still obviously a huge challenge. And of course, this crumbling economy, um, does it really make sense for them to be going down this path? Um, in many ways, it doesn't. And the ways in which it doesn't have been voiced by the internal critics and the political scene in Iran at the moment is divided. And it's divided over this along familiar fracture lines between moderates and hardliners. Don't forget the hardliners are very much in control at the moment. And probably their control has been strengthened now that they've seen off at least the first wave of the demonstrations inside Iran. And, and the arguments for doing it are, are high level and strategic. They're, they're not ideological. I mean, Iran doesn't have an interest in, in Ukraine, either in terms of exporting the Islamic Revolution, which is a very important goal, for the leadership in Tehran, um, or geographically, or in terms of its economic interests, so it's only doing this because it wants the it wants something in return from Russia. And I mentioned earlier what I think that might be in in the long term. That there's also a kind of medium term return they want is they they are extremely interested in the possibility of upgrading their equipment, particularly their Air Force, and there's been a lot of talk about whether or not they're going to get the Su-35 in return. Uh, I don't think they're that's signaling that, haven't they? They've been sort of messaging that with these weird images, yeah, underground yeah. bunkers and stuff. And there are going to be a couple of constraints on that, at least. Um, one is a really key player in this relationship are the Israelis. And, and you know, the Israelis and the Iranians are sworn enemies that the, the heart of Iranian foreign policy is confrontation of Israel and ultimately the liberation, of, of course, of Jerusalem. So the idea um, that the Iranians might receive significant capability upgrades from the Russians is going to be, and has already proved to be, that's anathema in Tel Aviv. And so the up until now, the position that the Israelis have taken um, towards the Russians has been carefully calibrated, but it's beginning to to tilt now, uh, both uh, both in political circles and also I think more generally in in Israel towards um, doing whatever it takes to limit Iran's capabilities and also to, as it were, come clean and support Ukraine rather than Russia. So that alliance between Iran and Russia is a real concern in Israel. And you can, you can expect, fully expect Israel to be active on this, not just to take it. And, and of course, the heart of the concern is Iran's is ballistic and nuclear capabilities, but also um, the possibility that it might get upgrade weaponry, which it can either 
position inside Syria or pass on to Hezbollah? Well, of course, uh, there are others who are very nervous about this, notably Saudi Arabia and other Gulf monarchies. And um, what can be done? I mean, you yeah. can't just rely on Israel. The JCPOA was meant to sort of, quote unquote, help moderate the regime's behavior. That's sort of uh, fallen through the cracks. So what are we left with? And what are the risks regionally? How could this sort of go out of control, as it were? Well, the first risk to the region is that, um, unfortunately, Iran benefits from this that it does achieve a measure of security guarantee from Moscow and that it does receive either capability upgrades or intelligence, which enables it and its partners across the region to pose a heightened threat to its principal adversary, Israel, but also to Saudi Arabia and possibly Syria. So that's that's a, a major concern. And it isn't just Israel who will mobilize on that. I think we can expect Gulf actors to take whatever steps they can to make sure that doesn't happen. And they do have lines to and some influence in Moscow. So that that's the first thing. I think the second challenge here for, for the Gulf states in particular is how they how they manage the independent line that they've taken towards Russia, which variously characterized as non-aligned or balancing. And by the way, one could include perhaps Turkey here as well. How they reconcile that um, with what, what may turn out to be, in fact, just permitting Russia to, to act significantly against their interests through its partnership with Iran. And I think that the, the, the Gulf states are, are committed to a different kind of foreign policy here, which is not derived from that of the US and its Western partners, which is distinctive. And they, they now have to, as it were, fight for that because they're going to find that Russia, which has been a key, key part of that, is not acting in their interest. So they've got both that clear defence challenge and they've got quite a diplomatic challenge here. And so... I mean, the US appears to be in retreat, but do you think that this could, this alliance could trigger a, 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 a change in US policy in the region, a, a renewed engagement commitment? Well, the, the US um, being in retreat is, um, the, the, there's a sort of orthodoxy around this, but actually if, if we look at certainly recently under the Biden administration, the level of engagement, um, you know, we've seen visits recently from senior officials, including from the Secretary of State. I think the US is most definitely still engaged. It's, it's just that it hasn't been as high profile and active as, as perhaps it was beforehand. Um, it's also still, by the way, maintaining its military commitment to the region too. So I, 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 I prefer to look at their engagement here. It, 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 it modulates. But the underlying commitment to their partners in the Middle East, I think, is is pretty steady. The um, the challenge for the US here, I think, is that um, uh, building, um, first of all, building the, their way back into processes that are going to lead to resolution, whether that's in Yemen or Syria or Iran, is going to be quite hard work. And I, I think it's probably what Anthony Blinken and his team found on their recent visit to. Israel and Palestine, 
you know, years of um, of much lower level or indeed disengagement under Trump on this has meant that there's kind of not a lot to build on. Certainly the same is, is true on, on Syria and the JCPOA is now looking, I'm afraid, moribund. But um, uh, I think nonetheless, uh, to think of the US as having uh, being on a trajectory of disinvestment in, in the Middle East is wrong. And we, 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 we will probably see much more engagement. I, I was going to point out that one or two quite sharp drivers for them, um, they, they, they certainly don't like, and, and um, many Western nations would agree, they don't like what they see in terms of Russian exploitation of uh, jurisdictions in the Middle East, either for circumvention of sanctions or indeed possibly for intelligence activities. So I think you're going to find that that I've already seen senior officials have engaged in that. I think we're going to see that's going to pull them back in too. One final question. Where does China fit into this nexus of, you know, uh, Russian, Iranian versus the US? Uh, China, uh, as ever, wants to preserve um, a kind of low profile but high return posture in the in the in the Middle East. And it's the major trading partner because of oil export uh, with Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. So it's knitted in to an economic model which relies on stability. Um, it's managing a very difficult partnership, of course, with Russia at the moment. Uh, Ideally, for Beijing, it will be able to maintain its economic position, maintain the uh, increasingly developed links into other uh, sectors of the economy, including science, research and development and military R&D with its partners in the Gulf, but not pay any of the prices of being Russia's friend. That is going to be, I think, very difficult because of the uh, because the very high rising levels of tension between Beijing and Moscow, uh, between Beijing and uh, and Washington at the moment. So it's going to be once again very carefully judged engagement by the Chinese. I would expect them to um, to be saying more than they're doing, to be promising more than they're delivering, certainly to to Russia, but to be very carefully guarding their relationships with with the oil exporting oil export, exporting countries on which they're they're increasingly dependent well thank you so much john we know that you have a paper coming out and we eagerly await it and um hope to have you on our program again sometime soon okay well thank you Ambry. pleasure to be with you and this brings us to the end of on the middle east We'll be back with another fascinating guest in the coming days. Thank you and goodbye.